Well, it's time for Inside EMS. I want to thank you for joining us. And of course, Pulsera is the proud sponsor of this episode of the Inside EMS podcast. Learn how you can create a robust community paramedicine program at www.pulsera.com slash EMS. And here he is, my friend, the man we call Kelly Grayson. Kelly Grayson, how are you doing, sir? Uh, I'm sitting in my uh, in my chair very gingerly. Um, uh, a little bit of sunburn and way too much body aches from my my float trip on the Buffalo River this week. So <sighs> did you get? Was it just uh, sunburn, or did you get? Uh, what's the body aches from? Old age? Oh man, so, yeah, yeah, old age. Paddling the canoe for uh, for um, nine ten miles. Uh, it was. Uh, I'm, I'm not as, as young as I used to be, and but truth be told, it has nothing to do with age. I'm just out of shape. Uh, I took my dog. I took my dog on a uh, on a canoe trip uh, on the Buffalo for a couple of days, and uh, the original plan was I was going to take the long float trip, uh, the day long float trip, one day, and then we'd go just tubing the next. And uh, and uh, I was I was too wiped out. Uh, from the first day, and I just I just slept in my tent the second day. <laughs> Shine loved it. Shine Shine got petted by every human being on the river. Uh, they thought he was the coolest thing ever, and he swam until he was he was flat exhausted. <laughs> but man, was I sore! Oh man, how long does that take you to travel nine miles on a river, man? Uh, six six plus hours. Uh, it wasn't too bad. The because uh, I could I can drive that in like eight minutes. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Driving it's uh, is is easy. Uh, floating it on the river is uh, is uh, takes a little longer. Uh, it's it was beautiful scenery. If you've never been to the Buffalo River in uh, in uh, north northern Arkansas, it's uh, it's a blast. Uh, shine shines first trip in a canoe and uh it took a little getting used to uh but uh he he settled down and and learned to like it and uh uh got out and swam with every uh every stop we made and uh schmoozed everybody else on the river uh they just thought my my own pet polar bear was was cool to have but uh got back to the camp and and he made one circle in the tent and laid down there and laid like a dead dog for the next eight, nine hours. <laughs> Did not move. It's funny, man. Good. Well, it's good. Yeah. You had a good time, man. Good. Yeah. You had a good yeah. time. Recharging our so, batteries. Yeah. I guess we all need to do that every now and again. Uh, I'm not a floater, man. You know, I'm a driver, so we'll see how, uh, but, uh, one of the things I've always wanted to do is uh, go up to someplace like Colorado, do a little whitewater rafting. So if you oh, got yeah. a place, yeah. You got a place up there in Colorado where it's uh, whitewater rafting. Go ahead and get in touch, and uh, maybe we'll go up there together, Kelly, and do a show on the. Uh, yeah, yeah. See how that works. But anyway, um, so I got we got a couple of things we want to chat about really quick. Yeah. I mean, first off is this Delta variant that's getting pretty crazy. Uh, I think we've yeah. I think we've kind of let our guard down a little bit as a society, and. Mm -hmm. uh, the people are not, uh, we're not getting uh, uh, shots, but now the people that have gotten their shots are uh, coming up with this uh, Delta variant as well. Uh, here in Missouri, uh, in the, uh, um, you know, Southwest part of the state, uh, Springfield area, uh, it's really, really horrible. And now it's starting to make its way up what they call the I-44 corridor. 
which is now heading towards St. Louis again. Uh, one of the biggest challenges for us was that the people in Springfield uh, were having challenges there with uh, patients in the ICU, 90% occupancy, and they moved a lot of these people into the St. Louis area. Yeah. I'm, sure it's, I'm sure it's like that in, in all the other states as well. And the, the, it's coming back to, uh, we may have to go back to mask mandate, which is going to be really challenging. But Kelly, uh, I think we let our guard down a little bit too soon. And uh, we've got to be able to think about what's going on here um, with the uh, with this new Delta variant. And I think you have a little bit of news you told me this morning. I didn't even know. Yeah, yeah. The the Delta is 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 becoming the prevalent strain, you know. And and uh, um, everything I read and and every report we get at at my employer is that uh, uh, the the vast majority, something like ninety something percent or more of the hospitalizations are uh, unvaccinated people with the Delta variant. And, and that's, that's a pattern that's playing out across the country. It's just the, the, I don't know so much that, that we let our guard down. I think that our guard wasn't fully up in the first place. And, uh, uh, because this has been so politicized, um, I've got good friends that I've just had to snooze, uh, and don't listen to the crap that they post anymore because it's, it's, it is, you know, uh, it's full of, uh, the, the, the vaccine doesn't protect us. The vaccine kills us. Uh, they've been lying to us all along and all this mess. That's just, uh, it's, it's, it's so tiresome, but, uh, looks like, um, COVID-19 is, is probably here to stay dude. And, and, uh, you know, thankfully, uh, we have some effective vaccines for it and, and they, the the data is showing that that maybe it doesn't protect you as well against delta uh, the delta variant, but it, it does it does seem to prevent uh, the severe symptoms and hospitalizations. So at least that's something to look forward to. But there is another variant out there now that is supposedly the vast majority of COVID nineteen cases in Peru uh, called the lambda variant and. Uh, Memorial Hospital or Methodist Memorial Hospital in uh, in Houston uh, just uh, just had a patient with the Lambda variant. So we've got another one out there. This, you know, these coronaviruses are, are agile little beasts. They mutate fairly easily, it seems. Uh, so that's why I say we, we will probably see this will become part of the landscape, much like flu. And uh, we, we may wind up being uh, developing uh, COVID-19 vaccines every year uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, just like we do uh, flu, based on the prevalence of whatever strain is out there currently. You know, but I think one of the things that we've got to be able to do is we've got to be able to use the vaccine. I mean, we eradicated yeah. polio. Polio yeah. was something that was really horrible, but the biggest well, challenge well, is... is in, in, yeah, America, in, in, in the time of polio, uh, we actually had some sense. Now we've got a bunch of idiots spouting falsehoods on Facebook and everywhere else, uh, and, and we can't agree on the color of the sky. Uh, it's it's really sad state of affairs on the the state of public discourse in this country. But uh, uh, <laughs> I never thought it would 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 be killing people in the in the degree that it is. Right. Um, so anyway, everybody out there, I mean, if you don't have your shot, please consider getting it. But, uh, you know, anyway, but for everybody out there, be safe, uh, make smart choices. And, uh, you know, from an EMS standpoint, I mean, we're, we're the medical professionals. 
that have to be able to ensure that we are keeping ourselves safe and keeping our community safe. And it really starts with us. And we've got to set the example for others to follow. But Kelly, let's go ahead and switch gears and get into our discussion. And I know you love this discussion and uh, I'm going to be excited to talk about it with you. A North Carolina County EMS began testing body-worn cameras in the field. This story came out on EMS One yesterday, uh, and uh, I'm really excited about it. I know you kind of take a different stance, but uh, Roberson County paramedics and residents uh, can feel a little safer Wednesday, the day that some county EMS personnel donned body cameras. That's the uh, starting line of that article. And they're going to start wearing uh, uh, body cameras, I think, for a lot of different reasons. And uh, I'm really kind of excited about this move. And the reason for me is that uh, I think there are a lot of things that are happening from an EMS leader standpoint. There are a lot of things that are happening in the field that our paramedics and EMTs are getting accused of, that are getting uh, fingers pointed at, uh, talking about unprofessional behavior. Uh, We're seeing a lot more people who are uh, getting verbally abusive with our EMS personnel. And uh, I got to tell you, man, just for the sake of liability purposes, just for the sake of employee safety, I really like this move. And and I'm going to give you a little bit more of my pros here in a little bit. But Kelly Grayson, how do you feel about it? Uh, I'm I'm ambivalent at best. you know, I, I can see the utility of, of body-worn cameras uh, to to enhance pr- prosecutability when someone insults an EMS provider and, and to eliminate the he said, she said thing. Um, I but but you know some things are are seem claims seem a, a bit dubious to me um, that uh, the the director uh, of the uh, of the service said that cameras can help de-escalate situations, provide safety, enhance training, and improve patient care. Um, I'm having a hard time understanding how they can improve patient care and de-escalate situations. Um, you know, I've been around enough uh, law enforcement officers wearing body cameras 24-7, 365, that uh, I, I don't know that I have encountered many people uh, that were um, – felt better because the officer was wearing a body camera. And as far as I know, the, the people we encounter uh, tend to, to ignore the camera altogether. But I, I have a hard time believing that, that it de-escalates a situation or understanding how it might de-escalate a situation. And improving care, uh, how, uh, how is it going to improve care? Um, you, are, are you going to review all of the footage? And, and is that going to be another, uh, uh, another, um, instance of, of, uh, big brother watching over your shoulder and, and judging your every move and your demeanor on scene and, and so on and so forth. Hey, you got to prove it to me. Uh, I, I don't see that now the, the providing safety and, 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 uh, uh, giving a, a good backstop to the provider story when, when the, the patient makes some allegations uh, and the, the body camera can be in effect, a, a disinterested third party objective observer. Uh, I, I'm all for that, but I have a, I have a hard time believing that, that it's going to really uh, improve patient care and deescalate situations, man. What do you, what do you say to that? 
Yeah, you know, the de-escalation thing, I think I have to agree with you on. And the reason that I say that is because you see these social media posts where people have body cameras on or they're holding up their phone. And it does seem to antagonize the situation more than de-escalate the situation. So I will come to you as a uh, hands up to say, maybe you're right on that. And But to me, I I don't think that it's a de-escalation issue as much as it is a... Uh, let's see what the true story of that is. Because I got to tell you, I mean, as an EMS leader, I have gotten countless, countless calls that have talked about my employees and their lack of professionalism and their lack mm-hmm. of commitment and their lack of compassion. And and these are some people that you, uh, you know, you look at and, um, you know, and you, you know, just, they're not that kind of, that's not exact, exactly. Yeah. But there are other people that you have to investigate. You have to say, well, let me look into this yeah. and I'll get back to you. And, um, uh, but with that, I think that this is the opportunity to have something concrete to say, let me go ahead. They, they do wear body cam. Let me go ahead and look at that uh, footage. I will get back to you on that type of thing. So I do think that that's an opportunity as far as uh, patient care. You know, we do CQI on our charts, right? And we we have mm-hmm. come to a place, I think, of making that a science in EMS to where we take a percentage of charts that we look at. And uh, when we do CQI, Kelly, I mean, we go through the process of listening to their radio report, reading their chart, um, uh, maybe looking at EKGs and, and and pulling the monitor into the office and printing out the EKGs because they just give us a six second strip of what they did. But if I'm going to go ahead and CQI a call that the EKG is available, I want to look at the EKG from the time it was put on to the time the machine was turned off. Yeah. Now, Now with that said, if I can add a body cam video to that as well, just to see a couple things now, maybe it's not patient care. Maybe it's how they communicated with the patient. Maybe it's Mm -hmm. how the patient understood the instruction. Maybe it's how they gave the uh, uh, patient care report at the hospital. So I do think that it will give us some opportunity. One of the other things that I think we can do with this footage is we can put it into a presentation to use as best practice or to use as a way not to deal with. Or when you talk about this from a a de-escalation standpoint, let's kind of change this up a little bit. When we think about it from a de-escalation standpoint, can we put into a presentation to say, look at how we started this conversation and look at how this moved into the patient's reaction? Or when a patient has this reaction, this is how we want to be able to approach it. I think it would be kind of helpful there. Yeah, you know, and um, I'm assuming that presumes that you get the appropriate releases from the the patients and uh uh, or, or suitably blur their, their faces and that sort of thing. Uh, even though there, there's, you know, it, at least in the public domain, there's no expectation of privacy. Um, and, and you have a lot of people that, uh, including some of the, the EMTs in, in, uh, at Robeson County that were questioning whether, uh, body, body worn cameras can be HIPAA compliant. Um, but, uh, as our good friend, uh, uh, Ray Kemp says that, <clears throat> You know that there's no there's no expectation of privacy as far as filming in public uh, uh, in the back of an ambulance or in the home. There should be an expectation of privacy, and there is. Uh, but um, as long as as these uh, these recordings are are kept uh, in a secure location and and only accessed by authorized personnel, it is perfectly HIPAA compliant. But you know. I, 
still, um, what you describe as as far as a CQI process is is much more robust than than many I'm familiar with, and and is is uh, most places you see uh, CQI done. It's uh, they flag certain calls, you know, and certain procedures documented, and then they they take a closer look at that. But but when you talk about pulling up the entire EKG strip, if it's still available, uh, the entire monitor record uh, or the radio reports, that's that's not often done that I that I know of. Um, but but I I can uh, wholeheartedly get behind it. If you're going to QA a call, QA the entire call and all the information you have. Uh, so yeah, I can I can see um, that your body camera uh, would be uh, a little bit more evidence and a little more. Uh, uh, utility uh, in determining how that call went down and, and how the patient, the paramedic and the patient's demeanor uh, contributed or, or, uh, or um, uh, detracted from the care. So eh, I can see that. The um, uh, question is, is how many of them can you do? You know, uh, it's, it's uh, we already have such a volume of, of, of uh, reports uh, that we need to, uh, that we need to QI that that we actually have to flag things, you know, so we can at least get a percentage of them. Um, I don't know if, if you're going to be able to to uh, uh, make use of the volume of data that you have available, but uh, hey, if you can, great. Uh, maybe maybe it does uh, help you enhance training a little bit. Um, the the thing that that Nancy and I were were uh, arguing about this in the car the other day because I didn't see it as much of a, a problem. Uh, but, but she sees it as a, it sends the wrong message from a customer service standpoint. And her, her, uh, uh, take on it was that a body worn camera sends a message to the patient that, uh, you don't trust them and you're recording them because, uh, you don't, you don't, uh, trust them and that you don't trust your people, uh, because you have to put a camera on them so that they will behave properly. Uh, if they know that they're, they're, uh, every move is recorded. And I, I did, I, I can see her point. Um, uh, I don't think it's as big of a deal, uh, as, as she believes it is, uh, because I think that, that the, whatever negative message it sends to the public, uh, is something that can be managed by a paramedic and an EMS crew that, that, uh, are adept at communicating with people, you know, that, that, that any, any, uh, um, apprehension that, that uh, a patient or family member might have about being recorded on a body-worn camera uh, can be managed by, by paramedics who, who uh, know how to talk to people. Just like you said, you, you come to them with your, you know, with your hands up and, and, and try to de-escalate that situation a little bit and, and ease their fears. I think that can be managed, but it does ramp up the tension, I think just a little bit. So I, I can, I can certainly see her point there, but it'll be interesting to see how Robert County and, and other uh, uh, EMS agencies um, who are using body-worn cameras uh, view the experience and, and how useful they find it as a tool. Uh, I do know of, of at least one really cool call that was caught on body camera. Uh, uh, our, our buddy uh, Ruben Farnsworth has a, a video of a surgical cricothyrotomy performed that uh, uh, was was caught on, on body camera by uh, the sheriff's deputy uh, on a call. Uh, that's that's not something you you get to see documented in the field in, in field conditions uh, very often. But they managed to catch it, and that's that's pretty educational. 
so, you know, I'll I'll grant you this, Sebalero, before I shut up. Body cameras, yeah, maybe. Okay, uh, in cameras with live uh, recording capability and 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 that sort of thing in the back of the ambulance, still not a fan of. Still not a fan well, of at all. Let's save that discussion <laughs> and let's go ahead and uh, take our little mid-show break. Let's save that discussion yeah. for the other side of the break. But Kelly, why don't you go ahead and take our mid-show read and uh, let's discuss this on the other side of that. All right. Whether community paramedicine or the routine transport from COVID-19 to STEMI to behavioral health, from the scene of a crash in your city to a patient's living room in rural Montana, Pulsera connects you in real time with any member of the care team. Pulsera makes communicating across organizations and regions easy for any patient type. Simply create a dedicated patient channel, build your team, and communicate in a way that's best for your team and the patient case. For more information, visit pulsera.com forward slash EMS. That's P-U-L-S-A-R-A dot com forward slash EMS. All right. So before we went to break and not a long break, but before we did that, you know, Kelly brings up the point of in compartment cameras. And, you know, I got to tell you, I don't know that I have that much of a heartburn about that. And let me tell you why, because I think that everything that we do in our society is now filmed. I mean, one of the things that I was talking to a doctor friend of mine uh, a couple weeks back, he had jury duty and it was a murder case. And it was all circumstantial evidence of where the cell phone was, where uh, his car passed uh, different places that had video security cameras, uh, where that, uh, you know, one of the things that he said to me was, it's amazing how much people are watching without you even knowing it. And I think that this is the society that we've come into, sure, that we don't want to lose our our, our identities or civil liberties or, you know, Big Brother is watching. But I got to tell you what, Big Brother is watching and they've been watching since the days of uh, uh, post 9-11. And I think that cameras in the back of the ambulance is something that we're going to be able to utilize in the same way. I want to go ahead and move to there are not a lot of EMS providers that have the experience. Kelly, you and I have got some great experience. We're really comfortable with our skills. Mm -hmm. We're really able to deliver the highest quality of patient care. We can understand symptoms. We can understand uh, management of symptoms. We can understand differential diagnosis. We can take and do as many advanced skills as we need to, but there are a lot of EMS providers out there, whether they're starting out, whether they're in the beginnings of their careers and they don't have that expertise. There's a lot of times they don't understand what's going on. There's a lot of times they don't know how to follow a, a differential diagnosis path. And sometimes when you have a camera in the back of that co the compartment and you're able now to connect with medical control and medical control can zoom in on the patient and say, oh, I can see what's going on. Or why don't you consider this or something to that effect? Can it enhance patient care? I think where you're, and I, I don't want to speak for you, and please, uh, once I'm done uh, pontificating on this, uh, give me your opinion. But I think what you feel is that just because somebody's watching, it's going to take away your autonomy to deliver the care that you need to be able to deliver, that Kelly Grayson is going to be able to deliver. But what about the people that don't have Chris Sabolero and Kelly Grayson 
experience and confidence and skill. Is that going to be something that we're able to uh, uh, work on? Or this, how about this, Kelly Grayson? Once we get to a point where we get below the line and we've got to include medical control, is that something that medical control can zoom in on what's going on and see what's happening? Now, is my in-compartment camera going to feed into every single hospital I deliver patients to? Are they going to have to get online with a security code and now access this camera? I mean, so what's the purpose of that? How is that going to even happen? Um, but I think that you're, you're, you're being uh, a little bit Orwellian to say, I don't know, man, it's just a little bit before medical control takes over my call. Dude, uh, Orwellian. Yeah. Uh, and, and there are, there are, uh, quite a few ambulance services out there who, who, uh, are, are, are would be perfectly at home in an Orwellian world. Uh, and some medical directors believe that some pigs are more equal than others. Uh, but I, you know, I can see Chris, and and, and I for one would welcome uh, the the uh, ability to to converse on video and have like a telehealth consult with a particularly thorny uh, patient presentation. That that would be that would enhance the the uh, medical oversight and and collaboration between uh, us and our medical uh, medical control physicians. The problem is is it. If something can be abused, it will be abused. Uh, it's not the fact that, that you have a camera uh, that records in the back of the ambulance where the video is accessible and you can use it for QA and QI purposes and you can activate it when you need it. It's, it's that there will be places and it's the same places that have uh, mother may I protocols where the paramedics have to have to uh, uh, call for orders for every single thing. And, and in effect, the protocols don't empower the providers. They, they cuff their hands behind their back. Those are the places that are going to, to have a uh, someone watching over your shoulder. And, and uh, I, I, it's going to happen. You're going to find places that, that uh, when they find that there is a deficiency in care or there is a, uh, or there, there's uh, their medics rendered care that they didn't think was appropriate or, or up to the standard rather than address the problem with training the paramedics and educating the paramedics and, and improving their performance, they're going to follow the path of least resistance and have someone looking over their shoulder. And that's you just need I a you just about. need a you just need a hug, man. I mean, you're just so well, you're but just it's so, true, dude. You're, I don't I mean, think it's true. I mean, you're jaded, no, no. Man. How many jaded. places? Come on. How many places have you encountered, and how many EMTs have you encountered that work under these protocols where you are you are required to call for permission for the most simple, straightforward procedures that you have to ask for permission to do everything. Let and, me give you, and, let me, let me the, stop the you. The protocols are so restrictive that they don't, it's obvious they don't trust their people to do their jobs without saying mother may I first. Those stop. are the kind of places that would abuse the camera. Stop a second. Stop a second. Okay. So is it, you know, you kind of said something that was interesting in the sense of um, saying that, um, uh, you know, they're restrictive because they don't trust their people. Mm -hmm. Is it that they don't trust their people or they're not confident in their people's ability to do the skills, right? Well, that's so it. That, I mean, that's the but, same thing. You don't trust okay, your so people that's a, to do so their it's a, jobs. So it's a training issue then. It's not a trust issue then, right? And this is where, 
this is where EMS organizations feel because you have to be able to be comfortable. The EMS medical director has to be able to be comfortable with the ability and the skills of the people who are doing the, the work. And I've seen EMS agencies that have had progressive protocols that have become uh, restrictive because of CQI that's saying these people don't know what they're doing. Now, now we've got to be able to be a little bit more restrictive. And I think that that's a training issue. I think that that's a confidence issue. I don't know that that is a uh, trust issue, but I do see your point. And I do well, think that it, that it could be. A, well, it, it, it is a training issue, but, but training and trust go hand in hand. And, and uh, my point is that people meet the expectations you set for them. People meet the expectations you set for them. If you, if your expectation is, is that they have to call for orders for everything and they have to ask for permission, they can't be trusted without a physician to say, yes, go ahead and do it. Uh, the slightest little task, then they will meet those expectations and you will have medics and EMTs who cannot think for themselves, have no clinical judgment, no clinical, uh, critical thinking, and who defer to, to physician, uh, uh, orders on uh, or, or call for, for medical control orders for everything uh, and, and they get intellectually lazy because of it. On the other hand, if you if you award some degree of trust to your medics, usually with the proper training, they will be worthy of that trust. And, and that's where I see it, you know, in the progressive systems, uh, those medics uh, are, are encouraged to develop some critical thinking and, and clinical judgment uh, and, and generally meet the expectations uh, uh, set for them and are worthy of that trust. And the exact opposite is true in places where they have uh, restrictive protocols. But hey, that's what I think. You may think different, but we'd like to know if you do. Email us at the show at ems1.com. And for myself and co-host Chris Sabalero, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week. <laughs>